What's up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing why this could finally be the year that the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl. How good will the Florida Gators football team be this upcoming college football season? Why BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF could make the Big 12 a better football conference? And how good will the San Francisco 49ers be this upcoming NFL season? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. And lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. The Buffalo Bills over the last couple of years have come extremely close to making it to the Super Bowl, but it seems as if they can't get past the Kansas City Chiefs. Now going into 2022, if you were to ask me to give you my way too early AFC Conference Championship prediction, It probably would be the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that these are the two best teams in the AFC going into the 2022 NFL season. I don't really see it changing all that much. I know not too many people are going to disagree with Buffalo being up there. Buffalo is one of the best teams in the NFL and in this conference. Some people are probably going to push back on Cincinnati, but if we're looking at the Bengals from a talent standpoint, they're up there as well. They have the most talented offense in the AFC. I know some Bills fans are going to disagree with that, but when you look at the offensive line, you look at Joe Mixon at running back, and you look at Cincinnati having the best wide receiver core in the NFL, I don't think too many people should disagree with the statement that the Bengals have the best offense in the league. However, Buffalo isn't too far off from that. You do have Diggs. You have Gabriel Davis, who should have a breakout season. I love Dawson Knox and O.J. Howard at the tight end position. And, of course, their offensive line isn't too shabby in their own right. And we already know Josh Allen is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I actually came out and said that I felt that Josh Allen was the second-best quarterback in the NFL last year behind Aaron Rodgers. Cincinnati's defense isn't as good as the Bills defense the Bills had the number one ranked defense statistically in the league last year and that was without Tredavious White he's going to be coming back fully healthy and then you kind of upgraded at your second cornerback spot you lost Levi Wallace in free agency to the Steelers however you're going to be replacing him with Kyer Elam a rookie that many people are expecting big things out of myself included you still have one of the best safety groups in the NFL with Maka Hyde and Jordan Poirier I'm excited to see what Gregory Russo is going to do this year I think that he could end up having a breakout year where he has eight or more sacks and of course the linebacker group is also pretty solid so the Bills defense is better than Cincinnati's so I think that If you're a Bills fan, I really feel that the AFC is going to come down to you and Cincinnati. And by judging for from what the Buffalo Bills have did this offseason, they went ahead and they signed Von Miller to a huge mega deal. And I think that Von Miller 
might be that missing piece that the Buffalo Bills need to get over that hump because the pass rush kind of has not been there and that's kind of the reason why they struggle to beat Kansas City because if you're going to have a shot of making a deep playoff run you're going to have to beat some of the best quarterbacks in the league and a good way to do that is by having a great pass rush now allowing that quarterback a lot of time to throw the football and you already top of that with the fact that the Bills have one of the best secondaries in the league. You bring in Von Miller, and if you can get Gregor Russo, AJ Epinesa, or another pass rusher to step up, then you're going to be set. So for the Buffalo Bills, I think that there is a really, really good chance that they finally get it done this year and that they finally win the Super Bowl because this is a team that has been really close. I don't know if you guys remember that commercial. Um... It's the dude for the car insurance company. He has a little fishing hook and he has the little $1 bill on the end. And he says, oop, you almost had it. Oop, you almost had it. That seems to be the case when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. They come up so close every single year, every single year. And it's really heartbreaking, man, because Bills fans deserve it. If you want to talk about the most underrated fan base in the NFL, it has to be the Buffalo Bills because... When I first started YouTube a couple of years back and I started to divert from talking about Miami Hurricanes football and started covering every single college football team and NFL team, the fan base that has showed me the most love over the years outside of the Pittsburgh Steelers was Bill's Mafia. So you guys show a lot of support. I really am rooting for Buffalo to get it done this year. And I definitely feel that they can because I understand that the AFC is top heavy. You have a lot of great teams. Not only do you have the Bengals, but you have the Chargers. The Chiefs are still going to be in the mix regardless of how people feel about the loss of Tyreek Hill. They're still going to be in that conversation. The Ravens. Interested in seeing what's going to happen with the Browns and the Sean Watson. So there are a lot of great teams in the AFC this year. But for Buffalo, if you were a betting man and you were to put money on somebody who you think has a really good chance of making it out of this crapshoot that is the AFC, I think you your smart money will probably be with the Buffalo Bills because they have a really great roster. Couple that with the fact that they have a great coaching staff. Sean McDermott, you doggone near could argue the fact that he's a top five head coach. I probably will put him in my top five. The dude has done nothing but win games. He has a really good coaching staff. Although you did lose Brian Dable, your new offensive coordinator should be able to pick up from where he left off at. He has a pretty good relationship with Josh Allen, and nothing really should change with the offense. Defensively, you still have Leslie Frazier there, who is one of the best defensive coordinators in the game at the moment. I think that it's only a matter of time before he ends up getting a second opportunity of being a NFL head coach. So your coaching staff is there, and the division isn't really all that tough. Although the Miami Dolphins have improved, New England is still going to be New England, but I think that the Buffalo Bills have pretty much separated themselves from everybody in the AFC East. 
I think the only team that could really be capable of being able to win a game against Buffalo in this division probably would be New England simply for the fact that you can never count out Bill Belichick and the Dolphins I think are a little bit of a wild card we don't really know how their season can go we hope that they can end up being a playoff team simply for the fact that they've been on the outside looking none of that spectrum for the last couple of years but with a new head coach we don't really know what to expect but they did add Tyreek Hill Jalen Waddle there they have a pretty good defense from a talent standpoint but Buffalo really is in a fantastic situation and I think that this may be the best opportunity that they have to win a Super Bowl this year because I think that the gap between the Bills and the Bengals and the rest of the AFC is pretty significant because I think that these are overwhelmingly the two best teams in the AFC and I'm not talking about performance i'm really just looking at it from a roster standpoint roster wise talent wise there aren't too many teams in this conference that match up as well as the bills and the Bengals do and i really feel that this conference is going to come down to both of these two teams so i think that this may finally be the year that the bills can finally get it done because when you look at the AFC, the nfc right the NFC, there aren't as many good teams compared to the AFC, okay? The NFC, you have Tampa Bay. We know they're going to be there, Tom Brady, but they have a first-year head coach. Well, not their first-year head coach, but they do have a new head coach in Todd Bowles, who used to be the head coach of the New York Jets, okay? They're going to be in that conversation. We already know as long as Aaron Rodgers remains in Green Bay, they're going to be in that conversation as well. But you also do have the Rams there who are looking to repeat as Super Bowl champions. They have brought back some of their key core there. So in comparison, I do think that you're going to have a couple of teams that can be able to match up with the Buffalo Bills pretty good. However, I still think that the Bills would be a favorite if you were to put them in the Super Bowl and match them up against Tampa Bay or Green Bay and even the LA Rams, I still think that they would be a slight favorite in that matchup. So I think that the Buffalo Bills might finally be able to get it done this year. I'm not fully going to lock in this prediction, but I have a really strong feeling that this could be the year that the Buffalo Bills finally win the Super Bowl. I want to talk about the Florida Gators for a second. So the Florida Gators are a team that they have a new head coach and Billy Napier. They have an over-under win total of seven and a half. So how good will the Florida Gators football team be in 2022? Because I think that many people are kind of selling the Gators short. I think there are some people who think that this is a six-win team. But me personally, I think that they can win between six and eight games this year. Maybe nine games if everything goes right. And their schedule is pretty favorable, okay? Because they only have three road games this year. And I don't know if I'm looking at that right, but looking at the schedule, they only go on the road three times. So some of your biggest matchups are going to be at home. Week one, you host Utah, the defending Pac-12 champions at home. You have Kentucky at home. Then you have to go on the road, face Tennessee, 
And then you have LSU, A&M at home as well. The only biggest um, away games that the Florida Gators are going to be played this year on the road are going to be against the rival Florida State and on the road against Tennessee. Vanderbilt, they should be able to take care of business there. And by judging the Gators schedule, I see five to six automatic victories. Okay, I can just go ahead and point them out for you. USF. Eastern Washington, Eastern Washington, Washington. I don't know why I'm struggling to say Washington. Two and or two wins there. Missouri, Missouri's quarterback situation is abysmal. If you go and you watch their spring game, oh my God, three wins there. You should be able to beat Vanderbilt, Florida State, South Carolina. I'll probably give you that. That's six wins there. So. Your next two wins probably going to come against more tougher competition, but you definitely have a great opportunity to beat Kentucky. You're playing that game at home. You're playing LSU and them at home as well. So I expect Florida to be able to take at least one or two of those games. And on top of that, you have Anthony Richardson at quarterback. And I have a theory called the quarterback superstar theory, right? So I think that if you have a superstar quarterback and you just give him an average team around him, he's good enough to win you at least seven games. And we presume that if Anthony Richardson takes that next step in development this year, he's not only going to be one of the best quarterbacks in college football, but he's going to be pretty much a lock for a top 10 pick in the 2023 NFL draft if he decides to declare And one thing that I noticed when I watch Anthony Richardson is that every time he comes in the game, he just makes plays. It's really magical. And I'm not going to compare it to Tebow in a sense, but it's really majestic because I don't know what it is about him, but he's just really special when it comes to making plays it seems like no matter what it is he just finds a way to make a big play happen rather that be with his legs or his arms and I don't really know how to describe it for real it's just it's just kind of magical which is why I kind of said that it's Tebow-esque in a sense because if you go back and you watch Tim Tebow played the dude was magic it wasn't a play throw that he couldn't make Every time he tucked the football, he was a threat to take it to the house. I kind of see similar similarities in Anthony Richardson's game. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that Anthony Richardson is Tim Tebow. I'm not going to be disrespectful to one of the greatest college football quarterbacks of all time. All I'm saying is that Anthony Richardson kind of has some Tebow-esque magic to him. And I think a lot of people are kind of overlooking the wide receiver position for the Gators as well. They don't have a lot of depth, but I mean, you don't really need to have five, six great wide receivers on your team. All you really need is two or three that are able to get the job done, and you have that. Jacob Copeland transferred out, but you do have Justin Shorter, Xavier Henderson, Whitmore who returns. Shorter was tied for the most receptions on the team last year with 41. He also had 550 receiving yards, three touchdowns, and averaged 13.4 yards per reception. Xavier Henderson had 26 catches for 277 receiving yards, two touchdowns, and he racked up 10.7 yards per catch as well. Whitmore is probably going to end up being your slot receiver. So the depth 
after these three is probably going to be everybody's concern but I'm not too worried about it as long as they can stay healthy I think that the wide receiver position should be straight when it comes to the running back group however I think that this may be the strongest position on Florida's offense they have a lot of talent a lot of depth and many Gators fans don't even know who's going to end up being the week one starter and they're probably going to have a rotation you're probably going to see three four guys who have roles in this offense when it comes to what they're going to do on the ground game remember Florida had one of the best rushing attacks in all of college football last year and I said this last offseason around this time that I wouldn't be surprised if this was a top 10 rushing attack going into 2021 And that statement pretty much held true. You have Lorenzo Lingard, who has been getting a lot of praise coming out of spring camp. Had a really phenomenal spring um, practice. He had a really good high school career. He was highly touted when he was coming out of high school. He initially committed to the University of Miami, but he ended up transferring out. I think that he could get a pretty good amount of carries this year. And he's really explosive, really fast in the open field. Anytime he gets the ball, he's a threat to make it a track race. Anytime. This is one of the fastest players in college football. You have Demarcus Bowman there, Naquan Wright, who has 76 carries, 326 rushing yards, averaged 4.3 yards per attempt, and had a touchdown. Montrell Jackson is a transfer from Louisiana. He followed Billy Napier to Gainesville. He had 162 attempts last year, 838 rushing yards, 12 touchdowns, and had 5.2 yards per attempt. So I'm expecting him to also have a good amount of carries this year as well if I was somebody who had to predict the running back death chart at the moment I probably would go Lingard Johnson Wright and then I'll have Bowman but it's really up to debate about that and it's going to be to be decided we're going to see how things progress throughout fall camp and whatnot when it comes to the running back position but this is definitely a great healthy conversation to have because anytime you have to debate who's going to be your starting running back because you have so much talent in that running back room is always a great situation to be in I don't know how the tight end situation is going to play out Um, I was trying to look up spring notes. I was talking to a couple of Florida fans that I know, and they couldn't really give me a justifiable answer about how tight end is going to play out. So it's just one of those things that we're just going to have to wait and see. The offensive line, many Florida fans feel really happy about where this offensive line is. It's a good amount of talent, experience. You also have some young guys who can step up as well. This could be one of the better offensive lines that the Gators have had in a while. The offensive line over the years for Gator for the Gators has kind of always been a big question mark going into the year. But this year, I think that there is a lot of confidence going into this group. And Billy Napier, during his time for Louisiana, has always produced some really good offensive lines. 
He has a couple of offensive linemen who are currently in the NFL who are starters or either really good backups. So I think that the offensive line could end up being above average this year, maybe threatening on being pretty good. And if the offensive line holds up and Anthony Richardson gets a good amount of time to throw the football, I think this offense could be better than what it was last year. Last year, the ground game really carried this offense. The passing game was really inconsistent, especially with the fact that Dan Mullen couldn't decide on who his quarterback was, even though it looked as if Anthony Richardson was the better option, he still felt as if he had to keep rolling with Emory Jones. So I'm really excited for what Florida can do on the offensive side of the football. And really the death at wide receiver shouldn't concern anybody. If they can stay healthy, that's all that matters. Now, if injuries end up being a factor, okay, but Let's just cross our fingers because we try to be optimistic over here. And let's just have the presumption that the wide receiver group is able to stay fully healthy. But even if they do have some injuries, I'm pretty sure that they can have a couple of guys who are able to step up. On defense, they definitely should take a step up in the right direction. Because I don't think that the defense can get any worse from what I saw from Todd Grantham. And some people may disagree with that because things can always get worse. But with the coaching staff that Billy Napier has assembled, this is a really good staff. And a lot of people have praised it. And I think that on the defensive side of the football, Florida is going to be great. You're going to have a really good defensive tackle and Dexter. He had 50 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss or two and a half sacks. You have edge rusher Brenton Cox, who had eight and a half sacks last year, led the team. He had 41 tackles, four pass deflections. Ventrell Miller started in two games last year before getting injured. In 2020, the year prior to 2021, he had 86 tackles, three and a half sacks. So he's a really good linebacker when he's on the field. Jason Marshall, is a cornerback that I'm really excited to see. I think he can end up breaking out this year. He started in a few games last season for Florida. He had 23 tackles, three pass deflections, and an interception. He was a five-star recruit, the second-best cornerback coming out of the 2021 recruiting cycle. He's a super physical corner with great press and man cover skills. He reminds me a lot of J.C. Jackson, currently with the L.A. Chargers right now really good with his hands. He's really physical on the line of scrimmage. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do this year. And their safety duo is really good. One of the best in college football. You have Trey Dean, who had 88 tackles, second on the team. He had an interception, a couple pass breakups. Then you have Rashad Torrance, who had 87 tackles, two pass deflections, and three interceptions, which led the team. So this is a Florida Gators team that definitely is capable of being able to win eight games this year but I probably would have them around seven but I definitely feel I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up winning eight and I think that nine wins would probably be the best case scenario for the Florida Gators year one under Billy Napier and I don't think there are too many Gators fans that are expecting anything crazy to happen in year one under Billy Napier I think if they get seven eight wins they would be really satisfied with that and even if you get nine wins you're going to be extremely enthusiastic about that because their over under win total is seven and a half 
So I definitely feel this is a good shot that they could win eight games. It really just depends if they're able to beat Texas A&M, LSU, or Kentucky, and I definitely feel that they can end up winning one or two of those matchups. I don't think they're going to beat Georgia this year. I definitely feel they have some ways to go, but you never know because upsets do happen. But Georgia seems that they're reloaded and they're ready to have another run at the championship this year. So overall, I think that Florida should be around a 7-8 win team. I think that this is a team that kind of is a little bit under the radar in a sense because we look at the fact that they have a new head coach and the fact that they may not have the greatest death at wide receiver, but this is a pretty solid football team. It's just the fact that Tennessee and Kentucky look to be so good this year, especially Tennessee with how much production they have returning on the offense. And you got Hendon Hooker, one of the best quarterbacks in college football. But if Anthony Richardson ends up popping off and he's as good as what we think he is, then I think Florida could end up being the second best team in the SEC this year. May not end up being Kentucky or Tennessee. It could very well be Florida. But let me know how you guys are feeling about the Florida Gators going into the upcoming 2022 college football season down in the comment section down below. So the Big 12 is going to be expanding. They're going to be adding BYU, Bremen Young, Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati to their conference. And I think that by adding these programs, it's going to make the Big 12 a better conference compared to how good it was when he had Texas and Oklahoma before they depart for the SEC. Because there's too many people that I see on social media saying that the Big 12 might as well be considered a Power 5 conference or this conference just took a giant hit. And it kind of irks me because... Yes, losing Oklahoma is a loss because Oklahoma has been pretty much the best team in the Big 12 for over the last couple of seasons under head coach Leakin Riley. I understand that. And I also understand that Texas and OU both bring in a lot of revenue compared to the other teams in the Big 12. So revenue-wise, this is a huge loss. But from a on-the-field perspective, really only losing Oklahoma is a loss because Texas has only won 10 games once this past decade. So it's not as if Texas was a powerhouse in the Big 12. And another thing is that we look at Texas for what they could be. We always say, man, if Texas can finally get the right head coach, they can finally end up getting in that championship conversation. So if we always look at Texas for what they could be, why aren't we able to look at UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, and Houston for what they could be, especially UCF? UCF is right smack dab in the middle of Central Florida, Orlando, Florida. You have Disney World. You have a whole bunch of vacation spots. If UCF can really take advantage of this move to the Big 12, I really feel that UCF has a great opportunity to start emerging as a really great football program in this conference because they haven't really been too bad. They have a couple of 10-win seasons over the past decade. Remember when they beat Auburn in one of the New Year's Six Bowl games a couple of years ago and they claimed themselves as the national champions 
kind of weird, even though they didn't really win the national championship that year, but I believe that they were the only undefeated team in college football. So UCF is a solid program, and I definitely feel if the move to the Big 12 with them have the opportunity to get even more revenue is going to multiply by three. So that's going to give them more money to put towards recruiting, improving the athletic facilities. And remind you that UCF currently has the largest campus in the United States. And then you look at Houston. Houston, same thing with them. They're in a really good location. They're in Houston, Texas. And we already know how much football runs in the state of Texas. We already know how much money gets put into these football programs in Texas. Look at TCU, Texas, Texas Tech. I don't know what it is about Texas, but you Texans natives, y'all love you guys some football down there. And there is a lot of money that gets put into these football programs in that state. So with Houston, they have the opportunity to have really great recruiting classes with the fact that they're going to end up getting more revenue. So if they can increase the recruiting budget, I think that is only a matter of time before we start seeing Houston have some top 25 recruiting classes. Then you have Cincinnati. You know, Cincinnati is the only group of five program to make it into the college football playoffs. And they just put nine players into the NFL in this past year's NFL draft. And Luke Fickle has pretty much emerged as a top 10 coach in college football. Cincinnati has had multiple 10-win seasons over the last decade. They had a couple of nine-win seasons as well. So I definitely feel that the Big 12 got better overall in the sense that now you have more quality football programs compared to what you had when you only had Texas and OU who are running things from a money standpoint. Because outside of money, I don't really feel that losing Texas is a big loss when we're come to when we're talking about the productivity that Texas has had on the field. And that's what I don't really understand is that people harp on the fact that these are formerly G5 programs and whatnot. I understand that. But I mean if you're going to knock those teams for not playing great schedules or not being able to be great um, opponents, then I think you kind of have to hold Texas up to that same standard because Texas has had multiple losing seasons. When When is the last time Texas has truly been relevant? Honestly. You get what I'm saying? So I don't really think that this conference got worse. Only loss I think is huge is OU. And I'm going to say it one more time. I'm not talking about the money aspect of this. I'm talking about the performance on the field. Texas hasn't did deadly squad in the last decade or so. So for this conference, you have a lot of teams that have much potential to not only build themselves up and continue to expand their facilities and their football programs, but these could become some really good football programs. And I definitely think that Houston and UCF could become juggernauts as long as they have the right coaching staff in place and they allocate the money properly the way that they should. Because Houston is already in the state of Texas. Texas has some of the best High school football players year in and year out. And we already see that Texas gets a big chunk of them. So if Houston can end up stepping up their game and Texas continues to struggle, 
I think that there's a great possibility that we could see Houston end up taking a good amount of that Texas talent that always ends up going to Longhorns and bringing that in for themselves. And they also have a better opportunity of being able to keep more highly touted players in the state of Texas. So I think for Houston and UCF, they are the two programs from this expansion that have the most potential to end up growing and to end up becoming juggernauts. And I think for UCF, you already smack dab in Orlando, which Florida as well is really um, great when it comes to producing great football talent in the state of Florida. And on top of that, if UCF ends up becoming better that's going to help keep more in-state talent in the state of Florida because if you look at all of these national championship teams the Clemsons of the world Ohio State Alabama a good amount of them if you look at their roster some of their best players have came from the state of Florida so imagine if UCF can finally get the ball rolling and they can finally start being consistent I think for UCF and they can end up hoarding some of those four or five stars, they could possibly end up being the best football program in the state of Florida because right now college football when it comes to the Sunshine State isn't really all that great. Nobody really has a stronghold on this state at the moment. FSU is still down. Miami isn't really down, but I mean, they haven't really been what they used to be back in the early 2000s, the 80s, and the 90s. The Gators are kind of down as well, in a sense. So UCF, by joining the Big 12, has a great opportunity to end up overtaking some of the other Florida schools for the title as the best football program in that state. I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I'm saying that there's a good possibility that it could happen. And then the Big 12 also has Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State. Those are two programs that have kind of been a little bit on the upwards. Oklahoma State has always been really solid under Mike Gundy. Baylor is now starting to turn things around with head coach Dave Aranda, who's coming off a Big 12 championship. Iowa State has been really consistent over the last couple of years. I think West Virginia definitely could end up being a team that could end up turning things around. You also have Texas Tech. A lot of people are really high on Texas Tech and what they potentially could be over the next four or five years. So the Big 12 Conference, in my opinion, I don't really think they got worse with the losses of Texas and OU from a football sense on the field because on the field outside of Oklahoma Texas hasn't really been anything to write home about and I think that Cincinnati also is a team that has already been competing for national championships they've already been in the college football playoffs and they already have started to bring in a couple of highly talented recruits over the last couple of years so now if them going to the big 12 they can sell themselves and say hey we're a power five conference now listen we have legitimate shot at being able to make it into the college football playoffs year in and year out plus you're going to give Cincinnati more revenue and more money and this is a team that has already made it into the playoffs once you get what I'm saying so for the Bearcats as long as Luke Fickle stays put in Cincinnati I definitely think that this is another program that can end up being really fantastic in the Big 12 I think that the Big 12 even though they do take a loss from a revenue standpoint I think that they just improved their conference overall because now you have more teams that have potentials 
to in the next four or five years to build themselves up and then you're going to have a conference that has more depth that's the word i've been trying to find depth they have more depth now and you guys let me know how you guys feel because this is a topic that I think that too many people have been one-sided about. I don't think people are really being fair to the BYUs of the world. And BYU has a pretty underrated fan base. You talk about some of the most loyalist fan bases in college football. BYU fans definitely have to be up there. It's a reason why their stadium's like 63,000. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that they have 63K fans that are in the stands year in, week out. You get what I'm saying? So imagine what UCF and Houston could do in this conference. They're already in a really good location geography-wise, especially UCF. So let me know how you guys feel about the Big 12 expanding, adding in BYU, Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati. Do you guys feel that this conference just got better? Or do you feel that it would take a hit once Texas and OU leave for the SEC officially? How good will the San Francisco 49ers be this upcoming NFL season in 2022? Now, this is a team that pretty much is in that boom or bust conversation and it's really not because of the roster it really just comes down to Trey Lance you either have people who believe in Trey Lance or you have people who believe that Trey Lance is going to crash and burn and that he's going to be a bust I am somebody who is in the I believe in Trey Lance side of things I just have a lot of faith in Kyle Shanahan as a play caller and as a head coach that he's going to be able to elevate Trey Lance. He's going to put Trey Lance in the offense that's going to minimize his weaknesses and maximize his strengths. And then you have a really good supporting cast around him. Your running back group is really good. You have Elijah Mitchell, who was the second best rookie running back in the league last year behind Najee Harris. Wide receiver is going to be Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. We already know what George Kittle brings to the table. He's one of the best tight ends in the game. Your offensive line is a little bit of a question mark. Offensive tackle, not so much because you know what you get out of Trent Williams, one of the best left tackles in the league. You have Mike McGlinchey, who also is pretty good. Offensive guard and your center position with the recent retirement of Alex Mack. I don't really know what to think about it, but you do have a couple of guys who some fans are high on, so we just have to see how the interior of that offensive line pans out. On the defensive side of things, you have defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans returning, and I think that D'Amico Ryans is going to be a matter of time before he ends up becoming an NFL head coach because the 49ers defense last year was pretty good. You have Nick Bosa, 15 and a half sacks, Arik Armstead, six and a half sacks. So your pass rush is still going to be there. I don't know what's going to happen with D Ford. Saw a rumor that said that he potentially could end up getting released there. But you do have a pretty good pass rushing duo there with Armstead and Bosa. Javon Kinlaw. It seems as if many 49ers fans have kind of already lost faith in him. They're already chalking him up to be a bust. I still have a lot of confidence in Javon Kinlaw. I think that this finally could be the year that he ends up breaking out. Your linebacker position is one of the better groups in the NFL, led by linebacker Fred Warner, who is one of the best LBs in the game at the moment. 
your cornerback position got better. And I have seen too many people say that, oh, JT, the 49ers secondary is awful. No, it is not. Jason Verrett, if he can stay healthy, if you can keep Jason Verrett on the field for at least 12 games and keep him healthy enough that he can play for the whole entire playoff run if the 49ers get in, He's really good. He This is a Pro Bowl caliber corner. Literally the only thing that holds Jason Verrett back from being in the Pro Bowl is the fact that he cannot stay healthy. If Jason Verrett could have one season that he stays healthy, he's a Pro Bowler. He's really good. Then you just signed Traverius Ward in free agency from Kansas City. He was their best cornerback last season. So you just upgraded that corner. So you have Jason Verrett, you have Traverius Ward, and then you have Emmanuel Mosley, who probably is going to end up being your slot corner. Then you have Jimmy Ward. So when you look at this division and you look at the AFC West, I think that the 49ers are probably going to split with the Rams. You're probably going to sweep Seattle, and you probably should be able to go one and one against Arizona, but I wouldn't be surprised if they end up sweeping the floor with Arizona also, but I'm just going to say that they split with the Rams and the Cardinals, and that you go ahead and you sweep Seattle. So that's what? That's four wins there? So you have four wins. Where are your other wins going to come from? Because looking at their schedule, I think that San Francisco could probably end up winning 10 games this year. And that's where I have them slated at. I have them slated to go 10-7. and seven. And this is a team that, even though their schedule is pretty tough, they do have some pretty tough games. I think that this is a roster that is good enough to be able to not only make it to the playoffs, but to have a deep playoff run. Now, as I mentioned earlier, your biggest concern, if you are a... Uh, 49ers fan is going to be how the interior of that offensive line is going to hold up because one thing about Trey Lance is that when he's under pressure he has kind of struggled but as long as the interior of the offensive line is just average I think that should be good enough because your offensive tackle situation is already taken care of when it comes to Trey Lance I've already said it several times but I'm gonna say it again for those you guys who haven't known but I think that Trey Lance is going to end up being a stud. I think that he's going to take the biggest leap this year out of all of the year two quarterbacks. I think him and Justin Fields, per se, because Justin Fields is going to have to end up carrying the Chicago Bears on his back this year. And if Chicago looks as if they're trying to make it into the postseason, it's going to be 98% because of Justin Fields. However, I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think that Justin Fields should be really good this year, despite the fact that he does have a good team around him. I do think he can end up carrying that roster. But if you look at Trey Lance, out of all of the other year two quarterbacks, he's probably in the best situation. Some people may say Mac Jones, but the reason why I'm going to go with Trey Lance is simply for the fact that he has a better supporting cast that he's going to be throwing the football to. You have Debo Samuel coming off in all-pro year looking for a new contract, and you do have Brandon Ayu who stepped up his game in the second half of last year, and George Kittle, who is either the best or second-best tight end in the NFL behind Travis Kelsey or even better than Travis Kelsey, depending on who you ask. So I don't see no reason why this team shouldn't be able to make it to the postseason And if they make it to the postseason, I think that there is a good chance that they can make a deep playoff run because look at the current state of the NFC right now. The NFC is completely different compared to the AFC. The AFC, 
we don't really know who's going to be making it out of that thing, okay? I think it's going to be the Bills and the Bengals, but you do have the Chargers, you have the Broncos, you have the Ravens, you have the Steelers, who are still going to be a little bit of a factor there. I think some people are selling them short. We don't know what's going to happen with the Browns and the Sean Watson. So there are a lot of talented teams in the AFC. But when you look at the NFC, you know, not that much. You do know the Buccaneers, the Rams, the Packers are going to be there. So... If you are a 49ers fan, why not San Francisco? San Francisco definitely has a good enough defense and a good enough offensive supporting cast. As long as Trey Lance is able to be smart with the football, he isn't reckless. I think that San Francisco can definitely make a deep run in the postseason this year because if you were able to make it to two conference championships, being able to win one of them and make it to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think there's no reason to think why Trey Lance can't do the same. And the reason why Kyle Shanahan drafted Trey Lance is because, listen, he understands in this day and age of the NFL with the way that the quarterback landscape is starting to change, if you want to be able to compete and win a championship, you gotta have a superstar quarterback that's why they traded up so much for Trey Lance and I'm so tired of people nitpicking Trey Lance you know I saw somebody saying that he just doesn't have that it factor that doesn't make no sense to me how does he not have the it factor if he didn't have that it factor then the 49ers would have never traded up so much to get him you get what I'm saying it's just that the criticisms that I've heard about Trey Lance, they don't make any doggone sense. It's just the media just saying things just for clicks and views. If you had to give me a legitimate criticism about Trey Lance, it probably would be the fact that he wasn't that great under pressure last year. But he was only a rookie. And on top of that, he kind of had some injuries that he was dealing with that kind of hindered him as well. This year, he's going to be 100%. He's going to be more comfortable in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Kyle Shanahan is now going to have a better understanding of what works, what doesn't work, and the best ways to put Trey Lance in a situation to win. So, I think the San Francisco 49ers are going to go 10-7 and this year. I think they're going to make it to the playoffs, and I think they have a very good shot of being able to make a deep playoff run this year in 2022. So let me know how you guys are feeling about the San Francisco 49ers this upcoming NFL season, and I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Remember that you can check out the podcast on every single podcasting platform, Spotify Podcast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from the jt sports podcast is available and i appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the jt sports podcast